All right, let's pray. God, I ask for you to speak. I ask for you to open our eyes and illumine our minds and, and inflame our hearts so that we can continue in worship. Worship with your word, worship with your authority, worship not with our voices, but with your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm actually really excited about this sermon. Um, I'm excited about this sermon for two reasons. One is because I, uh, I, I'm, I'm formatting it for myself a little differently, so I'm excited to see if I just totally ruined myself today or if I'm doing myself a favor. So you guys get to be my guinea pigs. But I'm excited for it more uh, because of the reminders that were in this, uh, in this passage for us. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Um, we live in a distracting world. Did you know that? Did you know that we live in a really distracting world? A world, <laughs> a world where, uh, where, frankly, we're prone to panic. We've got problems all around, and we've got problems televised to us. We've got problems in our ears all the time. Um, we're prone to confusion, to disunity, to terror, to frustration. A world where we find ourselves being tossed to and fro, wondering honestly where God is and why he's not doing what we expect him to be doing. Then, when he does reveal himself uh, to us, some, and only some of us, step out in faith and find ourselves sinking and in need of rescue. Uh, like I said, our verse today is, uh, verses today are going to be 22 to 33, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of sermons on this passage. Uh, a, a lot happens here, and as usual, a lot can be misconstrued, misunderstood, uh, but the point of the passage is clear, that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, what, what does that look like, though? So, let's go ahead and read our verses for today, so 22 to 33. Immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's walk through this passage, and we're going to have some 
some, some applications in the midst of it, and then I'm gonna conclude with some personalized applications that, uh, frankly, I already said I'm just gonna copy myself. Um, so first off, we begin here in verse 22, we begin with Jesus dismissing both the crowds and his disciples. He's telling the crowds to go away, and he's telling the disciples to go somewhere specific, across the sea. Uh, the disciples then get into the boat and they start, start sailing. But as Jesus is dismissing the crowds, Matthew doesn't tell us why. But if we were to turn to John chapter 6, which is where we were last week, we would see in verse 15 the reason why he was doing it. And it's because the crowds, after they had eaten, were about to come back, take Jesus by force, and make him king. But that was not Jesus' plan. He did not intend to be made into a human king. He did not intend for these crowds to take him by force. So, they, so we, we have the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000, really happy that they ate. So they, they decide, well, hey, this guy, this is probably the Messiah. This is definitely the one who was promised to come. So we're going to go ahead and make this happen. We're going to make him our savior. We're going to make him our anointed king, which is ultimately going to happen. But it's not going to happen the way they intend. And the reality is that God does not allow his plans to be changed or interrupted. When God has in his mind what's going to happen and how it's going to occur, it happens no other way. And so Jesus then dismisses the crowds. He gets them out of there and he gets his disciples to leave. And we don't really know why, although some commentators said that it might be because some of his disciples, specifically one who was a zealot, Simon, not Peter, but the other Simon, uh, might actually join the crowds and might actually try and take Jesus by force to do this. But we don't know that for sure. We just know that he dismisses the crowds because of, again, they're trying to, they're trying to do what they think is right, what not, not what God thinks is right. And, uh, and he sends his disciples off to the other side of the sea, but he sends them directly into a storm. Meanwhile, Jesus goes off by himself to pray, which, as if, if we remember, is basically where we started off in chapter 14. We have uh, Jesus hearing of John the Baptist's death, and he's going off to be by himself, and he gets interrupted by a crowd, and now he's finally going to go ahead and get to be by himself. So he goes by himself to pray, and, um, and, and he did that. And if you think about that, even Jesus, God incarnate on earth, often took time by himself to pray. And we should probably do the same thing. This, this is something that we should take a lesson from Jesus in, honestly, and just a little interjection. Sometimes you need to dismiss the people and the things that are distracting you uh, from gaining a sense of God's imminence. There are ever things in your life like that? You, you, you're, uh, for me, it's podcasts. I like to put my earphones in and I like to listen to podcasts. I have uh, some uh, news ones that I listen to. I actually, in my podcast feed, I think I have 22 podcasts. So I don't get to them every week or every day. But man, I love to pop in an earbud and just listen while I'm doing stuff. Um, it's just, it's, it's the way I survive. I've got three little crazy kids uh, and... Yeah, one of them's in here and she can hear me, so I shouldn't say too much. Anyway, so, <laughs> but I've got three kids that, that are loud, and so I just like to pop in my earbuds and listen to stuff. But sometimes I don't feel God's closeness when I'm doing that, and I need to get rid of it. I need to dismiss the crowd. 
and go off by myself. So Jesus goes off to pray by himself. Meanwhile, the disciples get stuck in, in this storm. Uh, we, see, we see that Jesus was alone, and then we see in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Now, specifically, it was about two stadia. It was a couple miles out, uh, out, out into the ocean, and it was a long way from the land. I mean, it, it takes a while to get out when you have a sailboat, especially in a storm. It's being beaten by the waves, so you can imagine in, in uh, the, 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 the sea that they're on, it's not an actual like ocean, but it's, it's kind of like uh, I spent time in Chicago, and you watch Lake Michigan, and Lake Michigan gets mad uh, when the wind's blowing and the waves are even high. Like they're more, it's more chop than I see in the ocean here, where here it's like consistent. But man, when you get on these smaller ocean or smaller lakes, smaller seas, it gets really choppy and inconsistent. So they're, they're getting beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now, I want to point out that Jesus sent them into the storm. Jesus told them to go across the sea. It's not like Jesus didn't check the weather report. He actually intended them to go into the storm. And he orchestrated the storm so that the disciples would struggle. And we'll, we'll see that actually is true. Uh, and we, we saw it when we read it, that when Jesus gets in the boat, the storm ceases. So this storm has a purpose. It, it, God, God is intending something to happen with this. And in verse 25, we see that it's the fourth watch of the night that Jesus comes to them. Now, the fourth watch of the night... Uh, it was, it was typical at the time that you would have these watches that ranges from, ranged from two to, to three hours. Um, so it, it's taken them, if we multiply that, somewhere between eight and 12 hours to travel three miles. That's slow. <laughs> they're, they're not going quickly. And, and they're, they're, if you think about how much effort this is taking to survive the storm, the waves are crashing around, the, 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 the boat is just being knocked to and fro, the wind is hitting them and probably pushing them backwards in their sailboat. They're toiling, they're struggling, they're fighting this whole time. And it's probably about 3 to 6 a.m. Because they left in the evening, they left sometime around 6-ish. So 8 to 12 hours, that's about 3 to 6 a.m. You imagine the, the people that had slept in the, like they get a break from their watch and they're laying down and sleeping, probably not the best sleep. So they're tired, they're frustrated, they're grumpy, they might be afraid. And then they see Jesus walking on the water. What is felt probably like an eternity in struggle. And then there's Jesus, not in a boat, not swimming out to them, walking on the water. And Jesus, in verse 25, we read, came to them. He came to them. He hadn't lost sight of where the apostles were. He hadn't lost sight of them in the storm. He knew, knew exactly where they were, and he just took a stroll out to them. That means that Jesus intentionally appeared to them in this miraculous fashion. 
walking on the water, illustrating the fact that he is the Lord of nature. And the disciples freak out. Rightfully, I mean, if, if think about it. If you have like an hour of sleep and then you see a dude walking on the water, it's like, what is going on right now? I, I can't even understand this. And they don't understand it. So instead, they, they say, it's, it's a ghost. They say, uh, uh, it's a phantasma in the Greek, which is where we get the English word phantasm. It's a visible spirit, like in 1 Samuel 28, where Saul sees the ghost of Samuel. Uh, when he when he gets the witch to conjure conjure him up, so it's it's a thing. It's a thing. Apparently, ghosts were actually a thing in Jewish uh, in the Jewish religion. Uh, not so much. It was more pop culture, but but it's a phantasm. They freak out, and then Jesus, in very Jesus-like fashion, says, "Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid." Excuse me? Like, they're already terrified. It says that. They, they were terrified in verse 26. They cry out in fear. They're, they're losing their stuff. And Jesus is saying, chill, guys, it's just me. <laughs> but, but he doesn't just say, chill, guys. He says, take heart, be encouraged. And then what we have in the ESV translated as it is I is actually the Greek ego I me, which is a construction that means I am. Be of good courage. I am. Do not be afraid. And that I am is, of course, foreshadowing the, the worship that he receives in verse 33. Jesus is making a statement. He, he, he's making a, a divine statement. Now, ego I me, that phrase is something that you would use all the time. But the way that he says it, by interrupting the sentence and saying, take heart, be encouraged, I am, it's, it, 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 should, it should draw our minds back to Moses and the burning bush in Exodus. So, they, so the disciples freak out. Jesus says, don't freak out. It's just me in a very, very divine manner. And then Peter uh, says, Lord, if it is you. Now, here's the problem with Greek. The word if is also the same word as since. So there's, there's two different ways to interpret this, where Peter is either, is, is either trying to, to uh, you know, like confirm that this is a ghost uh, or, or Jesus, and so he's saying, if it's really you, if it's you, please command me to walk out on the water. But none of the biblical commentators agree with that because, well, there's two reasons. One is grammatical, and I don't need to go into it, but, but ultimately, this, this word that we have translated as if is, is more accurately a, a declaration instead of a question. So, so he's saying, since it is you, now, if you think about it, no idiot is probably going to step out of a boat in the middle of a storm just to see, man, I wonder if that's actually a ghost or a mirage or Jesus. Like, no, nobody's going to do that, especially an experienced fisherman like Peter, who has weathered many a storm on the sea. He's not going to be that dumb. So that also fits with the fact that it's probably a sense is it, it is you. And Peter had the, the trust, he had the faith to, uh, uh, in Jesus and in Jesus' words to step out onto the waves. 
He didn't have a life preserver. He didn't have a rope tied to him. He, he trusted that this was actually Jesus and that Jesus could miraculously tell him to do this and he would do it. Why? Well, if we were to turn back a couple chapters to Matthew 10, we'd see that this has already happened. When Jesus sends out his apostles, he imbues them, he gives them with these miraculous powers to heal diseases, to cast out unclean spirits. Peter knows that Jesus is able to do this. He's experienced it himself. And he also knows that God is able to provide for him. I'll get to that a little bit later. But, but, the, but the, the, the point stands. Peter was not questioning. He was, he was declaring. He's saying, yeah, if this is you, command me to come to you on the water. Knowing that this is physically impossible, but it's possible through Christ. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come. That's all. He issues the single word command in the English. Come. So, Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. And he comes to Jesus, just like Jesus commanded. But then verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. The one thing Jesus told him not to do in this whole situation is, he says, do not be afraid, is the one thing Peter ends up doing. He gets afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now that's, that's an important prayer that Peter gives. He, he, he cries out, Lord, save me. It's important because um, when those of, us, those of us who are willing to get out of the boat, it's a John Ortberg book. Uh, if, uh, if you want to trust, you got to get out of the boat or something like that, some, some catchy title. Um, but, but for those of us who get out, and go somewhere where God calls us, oftentimes we see the wind and we grow fearful. Even those who follow God's call do not always go fearlessly. They do not always go courageously. They grow afraid. They grow discouraged. They see the wind around them like Peter. Uh, all the distracting and depressing stormy waves and fear wells up. They doubt which is the rebuke that Jesus gives in verse 31. Why did you doubt? Now, the Greek word for doubting means to be pulled in a bunch of directions. It's not just being pulled in two directions, like if you have a rope and you're pulling the rope and you're trying to tear the rope in two. Uh, you notice it's actually pretty strong, but if you were to grab 15 people, all grab a different section of the rope and they start pulling on it, it unwinds, it, it falls apart. And that's essentially what happened to Peter. He looks out at all these waves and he begins to fall apart and then literally fall into the water. But when Peter cries out, Lord, save me, as he's sinking and he just, just finds these words erupting from his mouth, he doesn't say, Jesus, why didn't you keep me above the water? He didn't say, darn it, Jesus, come on, man. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, uh, you know, Lord, you didn't, you didn't help. And he just goes down. No, he cries out almost instinctually, Lord, save me. 
And that's what true believers ultimately do. They instinctually, in the midst of panic and terror and struggle and strife and, and dire circumstance, they find themselves crying out to Jesus for rescue. Why? Because true believers know that he is able, he is willing. And when they find themselves in, in trouble, they, they, like Peter, find these words erupting from their mouth. Now, I know me, when I, when, I, when I stub my toe or when I'm falling somewhere, actually, uh, some, of the, some of the best moments in my life are the ones where I'm about to be really hurt because I make people laugh. If I'm falling off a ladder, I don't scream. If I'm falling a ladder, I go, oh, no. That's literally what I do. I just go, ah, uh, <laughs> I just go down. Uh, when, I, when, I'm, when I struggle and I'm tripping, I go, oh, 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 man. <laughs> and then I just go down. When I get to the point of me dropping, that's what I instinctually say. But, but I find myself so often when I'm really, really struggling, not just falling, but, but really struggling, I find myself crying out in prayer just like Peter does. A Christian's instinct is not to trust in anything or anyone other than the Lord for rescue. There's a chance that God might ordain that something else rescue us. Like, uh, like, like when I fell off a ladder before and ended up falling against a wall. It was here. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but, or starting to fall off a ladder, God ordained that the other, that the wall was on the backside to catch me. And I happened to be smart enough to set the ladder in a certain way that it would catch me if I did something stupid. And I did, um, Carl can see this in his head, I'm sure, because this was pretty soon after I showed him that I like to do this anyway. So, <laughs> but, but honestly, um, God might ordain for something else to save us, but it's still a rescue from God's hand. Now, continuing with the, the narrative here, uh, Peter gets rebuked. Oh, you of little faith. Now, hold on a second. Peter had the faith to step out of the boat. He had the faith to walk on the water. He, he, had, he had faith to go across into the storm, which frankly, he probably could have seen. He probably could have seen some stored clouds in the, the distance. And when Jesus said, go, and he starts going, maybe Peter was one of the ones who thought, mm, this is going to be hard. So, so he had faith. He had what you and I would probably classify as tons of faith. And yet Jesus rebukes him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why didn't he have enough faith? Why did he have enough faith to obey, but not enough faith to stay above water? Well, frankly, it's because he didn't have enough faith to keep his eyes on Jesus. He got distracted. Now, the reality here is that Christians, and I say this across the board for all of us, Christians are often more like the rest of the disciples than Peter. We stay in the boat. We don't get out. We let somebody else do the hard lifting. We don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't have the faith to get out. Instead, we have the faith to sit in our nice four walls, uh, comfortable, cozy, and safe. Even if the waves are hitting against the boat, I know if I step out, I'm going to sink. But if I stay in here, I might, I might be safe. But for those who, like Peter, are bold, are, are bold enough to step out, to 
go where God commands, those are often the ones who find themselves in even greater peril because they're the ones who have their faith tested. Only Peter was willing to obey and suffer humiliation. Only Peter was the one who was boldly faithful enough in Christ to, to, to ask Jesus for the help and to, to follow along with Jesus' help. Such is the way of those who really have that true trust in Jesus, who say with Peter, yes, Lord, I'll respond to your clear call and I'll move out of the boat. But it's also those who inevitably and graciously and humbly and, and humiliatingly often, but, but producing humility in us, receive that rebuke when our eyes turn from Jesus and on to other things like the waves. So, the, uh, Jesus and Peter, after being rescued by the Lord, they get back in the boat, and what happens but the storm is gone. Now, that's not the first time this has happened. Remember, there was a time a couple chapters ago where, where Jesus is sleeping on the boat, and, and the disciples panicking about the whole storm around them wake Jesus and say, we're going to die. And Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and they cease. So it's not like they didn't know that this could happen. It's not like they were surprised that, oh my goodness, Jesus is Lord over even the winds and the waves. They've said that before. But no, what happens is Jesus just steps in the boat and the storm stops. Why? Why does the storm stop? It's because Jesus' intentional testing and teaching has completed for the time. The lesson's over. The storm was ordained so that Jesus could go out to them and so that this whole experience could happen and so that he could display his rescue and his divinity and his power. And so we find that this story is not at all about Peter. The story is actually about Jesus. It's about his worth, his power, his strength, his ability. And then, and then the disciples respond just like they should by worshiping him. So the reality is that we, we look at this and we find that oftentimes when we obey God, when we really obey God, it's not a time of goodness and, and, and puppies and flowers and rainbows and happiness. No, when we follow God, when we do what he's called us to do, we find ourselves being sent into the storms like the apostles. Or, or, or we often find ourselves remarkably seeing his presence and power and then panicking, being terrified. And I mean that. We, when we see God show up, it's not like we go, yes, oh, praise God. We go, oh, shoot, what do we do now? Is this really God? We start to doubt. We start to question. We start to go, gee, I, I'm not sure this is really, this is really God. When we, obey, when we obey God, we often see his awe-inspiring acts. And those of us who step out when we, when we faithfully do as God is called, we find ourselves failing, crying out for his rescue. Why? Because the story's really about Jesus. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus throughout this narrative, we actually find it's Jesus doing all of it. Yeah, Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. Yeah, yeah, that's good. The, the other apostles had the faith to listen when they went across. But, but frankly, this is a story about Jesus and his glory and his grandeur. 
He, he dismissed the crowds initially because they were going to make him king. But the reality is that Jesus is already king. And, and he's not going to bow to the whims and the wills of other people, but instead he's going to issue the commands and make sure that his plans come to fruition. We find that, that, that Jesus is intentionally going out to meet his disciples in the middle of the storm to teach them this incredible lesson of his power and their faithlessness. His, his, his ability to be trusted and their inability to trust him as much as they really need. And when they see that, they respond rightly. They worship him and they declare, they proclaim that one truth. Jesus is the son of God. And so will you and I, when we have the faith to obey, despite all the circumstances around us, despite all the turmoil, all the struggle, all the strife, all the fear, all the challenges, when we have the faith to obey, we too will come to a point where we worship him who is the son of God. We'll be either humiliated like Peter or, or, or we'll be humiliated like the rest of the disciples. Congratulations, the end result of you and I on this earth is humiliation. It's exactly what you want to hear. So a couple applications I want to draw, draw out of this section. Number one, Mimic Jesus by finding time for solitude and prayer. Fellowship with the Father was important to Jesus. Uh, it should be important to, for us to know how precious and necessary it is. Are you carving out time like Jesus did to go off by yourself and pray with no distractions, the TV off, the earbuds out, Jesus did this uh, before important decisions, even though he was sovereign. He, he, uh, before he affirmed and chose the apostles in Luke 6, 12, uh, Jesus goes off by himself to pray. He, he went off by himself to pray in Mark 1, 35, before preaching, before, before uh, proclaiming the good news to the, or proclaiming the, the news of his kingdom to the crowds. And Jesus actually ended up not just doing it before important things like that. He just did it all the time. We find that in Luke 6, 16, that Jesus often went off by himself to pray. And this is a Christ-like quality we should all have to set aside our own busyness and seek the Lord in solitary prayer. Application number two, uh, obey God even when it sends you into the storm. We should not be like the prophet Jonah who disobeys the Lord and finds himself in a storm. We should instead be like the apostles who obey the Lord and go straight into the storm. Obedience to the Lord always results in a better outcome than disobedience. Uh, a couple examples. The Israelites obeyed the Lord to and through walls of water into freedom from the Egyptians in Exodus 14. However, they did grumble against Moses and, and they, they were subjected to waiting as, as the, the army of Pharaoh catches up to them and they start panicking and they're freaking out and they're like, it would have been better for us to just keep serving the Egyptians. Why, why did you bring us out here to die, Moses? 
But they were also commanded by Moses in response to their grumbling, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That's Exodus 14, 13. Sounds familiar, fear not. When you obey the Lord, don't fear, but obey even when it sends you into the storm. Jesus doesn't send his disciples into easy journeys, but he's always able to rescue them when the lesson, when the teaching is done. And he knows exactly what sort of rescue they need. So when he grabbed Peter and lifted him up and gave him the rebuke, but the other disciples were also rescued, not just from the storm, but in, in, and not just from seeing Peter's faith or his failure, you know, I imagine the conversations after that, just knowing guys, right? Like, oh, yeah, Peter with the faith to walk out in the water, but not enough to stay afloat, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> what would you say to him, right? It would, you, you'd be like, man, it was smart for us to stay in the boat. At least we didn't get wet. Like, <laughs> it would, that, that would be us. Uh, it, that would be me, at least. Uh, but the disciples were rescued because, because they, they, they responded rightly at the end of it. They worshiped Jesus. So they too were rescued, just not in the same way. Application number three, do not be afraid. I said that already, but I'm going to say it again. Do not be afraid. Because frankly, our world today is full of distracting, fearful, and, 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 and terrifying acts. No, not kids. Uh, but, but this world is, is full of things that are going to take your eyes off of Jesus and make you focus on other things to panic of the, 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 the latest thing to be afraid of. There's always, there's always some hot thing to be afraid of. It doesn't matter what generation you're in. It doesn't matter what news channel you watch. It doesn't matter where you read your news. There's always something that someone is going to come to you and say, hey, by the way, you should be fearful. Well, don't be. We are not called to be afraid, but we're instead to act in a way that glorifies God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31, one of my favorite verses. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is senseless to be afraid as long as we fear, revere, and love God. He'll show you his hand at just the right time if you do that. But frankly, you're going to miss his hand if you're afraid of the latest uh, pop struggle. And putting these first three applications together, um, mimicking Jesus to find solitude in prayer, obeying even when it sends you into a storm and not being afraid, putting these three together, uh, we, we should often seclude ourselves from that which makes us anxious, acting in loving obedience to the Lord's commands and law, and courageously trusting him no matter what. Just to put those things together. So personal challenge. Are you prone to being gluttonous on that which makes you angry or fearful in this world? Seclude yourself in prayer. Not constantly like a hermit, but often enough to walk fearlessly, courageously in the Lord's will. And are you prone to constant distraction? This one's me. Mindless scrolling through social media or inattentive binging on shows and movies? Search for a way to isolate yourself in prayer to God, free from those distractions in humble obedience and courageous worship.
Therefore, the culmination of all these applications, not just putting them together, but the culmination of all of them, keep your eyes on Jesus. Are you inundated in struggles? Retire yourself in prayer. Cry out for rescue. Worship him who is able to rescue you. Are you anxious and fearful as the storms are crashing around you? Listen to the Lord anyway. Do as he commands. Get out of the boat and go where he's calling. Be one of the few. Be one of the few courageous that step out, not one of the cowards that stay in the boat. Have you been mercifully and shockingly rescued recently? Then respond rightly and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's worthy of adoration and worship. And lastly, keeping your eyes on Jesus, love and obey Jesus by keeping your eyes on him, finding your delight in him and his law, lest you perish in your affliction. That should sound familiar. That was part of our psalm today. And I'm going to reread that one verse. It's Psalm 119, verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If God's law is not your delight, you'll find yourself perishing in every affliction that comes at you. It might not just be every single one. It might be the culmination of all of them. But you find yourself defeated. You find yourself cowardly. And you find yourself distracted. Keep your eyes on Jesus, friends. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this illustration of Peter as he had the faith to follow you out on the water, but not the faith to stay afloat. God, most of us, the reality is, are not those who get out of the boat. We're the ones that stay in the boat and watch these things from afar. But God, I pray that you would instill in us by your Holy Spirit a courage to do what you have called us to do as a church, as individual believers. I pray that you would keep our eyes on you so that we can walk fearlessly in this world of of conquering fears. Lord, we just celebrated uh, a remembrance of one of the most terrifying things in our nation yesterday. And God, the the fact that we celebrate terror, even by rebranding it as, as a different holiday, just shows how fallen this world is. And I pray that you would call us, your people, to love our enemies to proclaim your gospel, to step out of the boat, and to keep our eyes on you. You are the one we want to please. And if you're not the one we want to please, then God give us repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you're in a fierce drought or a crazy storm. I bet you're in one of them. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you sink, he'll rescue you. Cry out to him for rescue, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Go in peace, saints.